Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Omniverse podcast. This week uh, we have for you a story that I wrote, gosh, uh, probably about 10 years ago or so. Uh, I was writing this as a sort of back and forth story anthology with a friend of mine and it never quite got off the ground, but we got some good stories out of it. These are some of these stories you'll hear on this podcast, so uh, I think at least one you've already heard, uh, but uh, I think they stand in well outside of the original anthology idea. This one is, um, you might want a few Kleenexes if you're, if you're the kind of person that tears up a bit at, uh, at uh, things that are a little more sentimental. Uh, this proves that not all of my stuff is dark and gory and nasty and... Uh, full of explosions. So, uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy it. Uh, it is read by Doug Rapson, uh, also known as uh, Geek Acres. I've had the pleasure of meeting Doug uh, at uh, all the Balticons that I've been to, and he's a great guy. He has several podcast projects under his belt, uh, including Geek Acres and Gut Check Cast. And just, uh, he's got a great voice. I think he did a fantastic job. And I hope you guys really enjoy this. Uh, There'll be a link to his stuff in the show notes. And uh, stick around for the promo at the end. Uh, Before we get to the show this week, just a couple of quick things that I want to remind you to check out. We have the 52 Weeks of Indie, which is at 52.scottroche.com. Also, for those of you that don't know about Flagship Magazine from Fly Island Press, we've got a new issue coming out. Uh, about the same time this will be dropping. So you can go over to flyingislandpress.com slash flagship and check that out. We've got some great stories over there. And even if this is time shifted, they're still going to be there and you can still go get them and enjoy them. So uh, with that said, let's get you into this week's show and we'll see you next time in the Omniverse. Music Box by Scott Roche. The rhythmic rasp of sandpaper against wood always put Rob in the zone. He could better visualize the finished product in this state. The new shape under his hand would be a music box that he had been envisioning for some time and was to be a part of his graduation show. Pine would dovetail with a nice piece of cherry he had salvaged from the dumpsters near the university. Some student, with more money than brains, had busted up a huge armoire and Rob had pulled several large pieces from it for his collection of scrap. The nice thing about his desire to specialize in found art was that the world was one great treasure trove. The pine had come from a nearby house that had been demolished after a fire. Part of the wood had an interesting char pattern. There was also an ochre stain on one side. It was too deep in the wood grain to sand out, but that was okay. It would go well with the cherry. The sanding finished, he stood up and dusted himself off. Bones and tendons cracked and popped, echoing in the dank basement studio. It wasn't his precisely, it belonged to the university, but it served him well. Cinder block walls were covered with sketches, pieces of wood and metal, shelves with small-scale project models, all the dreams of last year's students waiting to be born. He caught his reflection in a highly polished piece of steel that would become part of a multimedia project that Suze was working on. She was going through some kind of postmodern technophilia stage. 
The impromptu mirror showed worn jeans bleached white, thighs covered with heavy leather patches to protect him from a carving knife slip. He worked in his lap a lot, and it only took one accident and four stitches for him to decide to cobble together some armor. A heavy plain gray cotton pullover kept the chill off his arms, and a wool watch cap over his bald dome and full red-blonde beard kept his head and face warm. It always seemed to be several degrees colder down here. Didn't help that the furnaces were off thanks to the fall break. He never noticed it while he was working, but now, as the chill crept in, he grabbed his navy peacoat and pulled it on. He tucked his tools and materials into a battered duffel and turned out the main lights. The slamming of the studio door rang up and down the dim hall. Even though he was prepared for it, it made him jump every time. There was no way to close the door quietly thanks to the pneumatic hinge. His brown eyes adjusted slowly to orange gloom, emergency exit lights providing the only illumination. Rob was grateful that he had earned the janitor's trust over the four years of his study. Having a key to get into the studios during the holiday was something to be treasured. Echoes of his footsteps filled the concrete and steel tunnel that led to a staircase seemingly miles away. The temptation to break into a jog struck him, but he dismissed it. There was no one down here, and even if there was, no one meant him harm. The stairs took him up to the street, and he put down his bag and pulled the wool coat's collar up around his neck. Wind howled down the alley, and a light rain began to fall. It was always raining in this city, it seemed. Being from Seattle, he should be used to it. But at least back home, he could get a decent cup of coffee. England had taught him a lot, though, so no complaints, and he'd be back in Washington after the summer unless a job presented itself. He briefly toyed with the idea of stopping for a pint, but when he looked at his watch, he realized it was almost one in the morning, and his warm bed beckoned stronger even than the thought of a Guinness. With renewed resolve to get back to his flat, he did pick up the pace and fell into an easy jog. Battered Nikes swept silently across the pavement, the only noise coming from his duffel as tools jingled in their little compartments. Once home, he put the bag at the end of his rickety single bed and collapsed onto it. The quick jog, his day's hard work, and the lateness of the hour drug him into sleep. It felt like he was floating, drifting on a cushion of the softest down. Even though he was certain that his eyes were open, it was utterly black. From a great distance came the sound of singing. At first, he couldn't make out the tune, but it got gradually louder. It was the voice of a little girl, and the song was maddeningly familiar. But he still couldn't make out the words. Late morning light streamed in through one small window. Layers of sleep peeled back from his brain as he woke gradually. He realized that he had neglected to climb out of his clothes before going to bed, and the constriction was suddenly annoying. Slowly, joints creaking, he got up and shook a little, settling his clothes and struggling to alertness. He put a kettle on the gas ring and let it come to a boil. Meanwhile, he went through the morning rituals, shaving his skull and brushing his teeth. Halfway through, he found himself humming that tune from his dream. 
like an itch he just couldn't reach. The words floated in his mind, but he couldn't recall them. It wasn't frustrating so much as it was a pleasantly annoying riddle. Given enough time, it would come. The kettle whistled at him, and he had a cup of Darjeeling and a scone with clotted cream and quince jam while watching the street below. His plan for the day was to go out in the country and make some sketches for a scene he wanted to carve into the side of the music box. That may have to wait, as he could see the once-promising sun beginning to hide behind some rather ominous clouds. Rinsing his few dishes in the small galley sink, he started to whistle that little tune again. Inspiration struck. If anyone could identify the song, it would be Sue's. The woman had a knack for being able to recall any song she heard, even once, and could play it back on the little Spanish guitar that was never far from her side. She used that to earn some extra pocket money at various coffee houses around town. No doubt he would find her at Grounds Zero, the only one that managed to do decent business while the students were on holiday, thanks to its proximity to an office park. It was almost the lunch hour by the time he got there, and he could hear the soft strains of some Celtic piece that she was playing to soothe the wage slaves. His one fervent hope was that he would never wind up wearing a suit and grinding away his soul at some desk. The rain had yet to start, and it was reasonably warm, so she was playing outside. One beam of light had struggled through a cloud to make what looked like a natural spotlight on her performance. She wasn't beautiful in the modern sense, every inch of her screaming Eastern European peasant. A madras gypsy skirt only accentuated her broad hips, and a heavy white blouse showed no cleavage but did nothing to conceal her large bosom. Her face was broad, and thick black hair hung in a braided rope over her left shoulder. Not the kind of woman you'd find on the cover of Maxim, but when she was playing, painting, or sculpting, her face was purely angelic. It was her sweet spirit and fierce creative drive, more than her looks, that was what drew Rob to her. They would never be more than friends, thanks in large part to her massive bear of a fiancé, but that was all right with Rob. You could do much worse than being friends with a woman like her. As he watched her play and saw the occasional patron drop a coin in her guitar case, something caught his eye. A little girl stood just a few yards up the sidewalk beyond the cafe and was swaying in time to the rhythm of Suze's guitar. Not much bigger than a minute, as Graham used to say, she couldn't have been older than six or seven. It was odd, mostly because she was alone and there were no schools in the immediate vicinity. She wore the kind of white lacy go-to-church dress that you would receive a severe scolding for should you get ice cream on it. Blonde hair was tied up in a pink ribbon and she had a sweet, slight smile on her face. About the time he took all of that in, Suze finished her piece to a smattering of applause and announced that she was going on a break. With her guitar safely ensconced in its case, she crossed the distance to Rob. She grabbed him tightly about the middle, the top of her head hitting just above his sternum. 
Hey there, Sasquatch. Glad you could come by and hear me. He had gotten the name thanks in part to his height and shoe size, but also because of his home state, and the fact that, according to Sue's, there were just too many damn robs and bobs anyhow. He hugged her back, always awkward due to their size difference, but also always welcome. They broke the embrace simultaneously. Do you have a few minutes? I need to run something past you. He looked over her shoulder to where the little girl had stood. She was gone. Anything for you, love. Come sit down, and I'll get us some coffee. She moved into the shop as he took a seat at a table near her music setup. Fingers drummed restlessly as he waited for her to reappear. He scanned the crowd, taking mental snapshots of faces. Fodder for future sketches. After a few moments, Suze came back out, bearing a tray with two steaming white ceramic mugs, the kind that would make a good melee weapon in a pinch. It began to mist gently, so he popped open the umbrella that stood at attention in the table's center. Suze put down the tray and handed him a mug. Black as sin and twice as bitter. His favorite was their house coffee with a double shot of espresso. She took her own heavily sweetened café au lait and sat under the umbrella's shelter. So, what can I help you with? Well, I had a dream last night, and in it I heard a song. I know it has words, but I couldn't hear them. And I was hoping you might know. Provided your brain didn't just decide to begin composing music, this shouldn't be a problem. Let me get my guitar out of the rain. She ran and grabbed the hard-shell guitar case from its resting place. It was under a table and had stayed mostly dry. I'll tell you what. I've finished my sets for the afternoon. Why don't we run to my flat and do it there? There's more room, and I won't get my guitar damp. Sounds great. They finished the coffee quickly and hurried the two blocks to her building. The smell of cinnamon and cardamom washed out of her place as she opened the door. As soon as she was in and had put down her bags, she began the ritual of lighting the dozens of candles that provided the only illumination. Rob closed the door and plopped down in an overstuffed beanbag and totally relaxed. When he opened his eyes, Suze was sitting across from him in a matching piece of furniture. Her guitar was in her lap, cradled like a child. So, hum this song to me. Okay, I'll give it a shot. He began to hum softly, finding the right pitch and melody with little effort. The thing had stuck with him. As he hummed the tune, she began to pick it out on the guitar. The room was soon filled with the soft music. He stopped and closed his eyes again as she continued with the melody. That's when the odd thing happened. An image of the little girl that he saw at the coffee shop earlier floated to the front of his brain. He saw her lips moving, and she smiled as tears ran down her porcelain face. Rob began to sing, though he didn't understand the words himself. Susa's hands never faltered, though a look of sheer amazement crossed her face. She waited until the song ended to ask her question. So, when did you take the time to learn Gaelic? He opened his eyes and looked at her. Sorry? You were singing in Gaelic, and it was pretty close, too. Well, the closest thing to learning Gaelic that I've ever done was taking that Italian cooking class last year. 
They both smiled at the horrible pun, and the tension that had been building in the room over the last few minutes lost its edge. So I guess you know the song? Sure enough. There was an odd light in her eyes, one that he saw when she was halfway through a Miss Marple. It's an old lullaby. So I have a favor to ask, since you were going to do the workings for my music box. I'd like you to do that song if you can. Last summer break, they had cranked out music boxes for a tourist gift shop, so he knew the proper measurements, and she still had all the tools necessary to punch out the metal to the right tune. Well, it's simple enough, that's for sure. I'd ask why, but I'm guessing that you don't know yourself. A serious look came over him. No. No, I don't. And do you think you could have it ready by week's end? Sure. What with the classes being out for a bit longer, that should be no problem. Why the rush? Oh, wait. I guess you don't know that either. A slight smile came across his face. Nope. Look, Suze, you're a dear, and I appreciate this. I've got some work to do myself, so I've got to go. You won't stay for some curry? Tempting, but no thanks. He pecked her on the cheek and was out the door in a flash. He didn't notice the rain on his face or the fact that he was humming snatches of that tune. Before long, he was back down in the bowels of the art building and had the pieces of wood out on his bench. Long curls began to snake from the pine as he carved an intricate design that had only now formed in his mind. Little girl, I don't know who you are, but I know this is for you. He heard laughter from deep in the recesses of his mind, and he grinned as he worked. Hours passed as he carved out the dovetails that would join the pieces together. The pine would make the lid, though he wasn't sure yet what form the design on it would take. As was usually the case when he was working, time bled away, pooling into his joints. He realized how exhausted he was from the effort of creation. Ah, just a bit of a nap, he said to himself. He went over to the corner where some student had long ago stowed away an old army cot. Someone else had thoughtfully provided a thick sleeping bag. During the school year, you would often find a student passed out from long hours in the studio too tired to crawl home. He lay down, and in moments, he was out like a light. The girl's face came to him again, and this time she appeared to be sleeping. Her long lashes lay against pale skin, and a smile was fixed on her coral lips. Blonde locks spread around her head in a corona against a midnight green background of satin. A woman's voice, a voice that might be this girl's in twenty years, sang the Gaelic lullaby. In his heart, Rob knew it to be her mother's. He also knew, as one knows things in dreams, that Laura had this sung to her every night by the lovely lady. His dream's eye pulled back to see the edges of her pine bower, the last she would ever rest in. It continued to fly away through the roof to see the neighborhood surrounding the house where he found the wood for his box. When he woke up, his face was damp, and he was curled in a ball. He resolved at that moment to finish this box and dedicate it to the girl. He'd never really believed in the supernatural, and wasn't sure he wanted to start now. But whoever this little girl was, 
he would do his best to honor her memory. Carving knife in hand, he approached the music box to be and continued the work. After a few more hours of intense labor, it was finished to the point where it could receive the hardware that Suze would put together. He closed the lid, and the blank top faced him. Before this visitation, he had planned to inlay some sort of pastoral scene, but that simply wouldn't do. Looks like he had some research ahead of him. After a few minutes of packing his gear, he was up to street level and saw that the usual mid-morning drizzle had set in. They usually lasted until noon at least, so he headed back to his flat for an umbrella and a bite to eat. By the time the noon church bells chimed their last, he was in the local cemetery with a big roll of butcher paper and some graphite sticks. The sun peeked through the clouds and had chased the rain away, but he had a golf umbrella slung over his shoulder, like a claymore, just in case. After a few moments of searching, he found a section populated by statues of little angels. He spent the next hour or so doing rubbings along with a fair amount of soul-searching. Rob had once entertained the idea of having children, but facing the possibility of losing them so early, as these parents had, cooled that desire quickly. Back in the studio, he laid out the huge white-gray smudged sheets. Angels, ivy, and gothic lettering looked up at him from the floor. A blank sheet from a sketchbook glowed in the white light of the drawing lamp clamped to his drafting table. He began to hum, and he sketched out ideas for the five-inch by seven-inch rectangle of wood. After a moment, he felt a presence in the room. Careful not to look up and break the spell, he began to speak. Hello, little one. You've kept me pretty busy the last couple of days. I don't know what happened to you, and I don't suppose that really matters now. You're beyond pain, and I guess that's good. But it doesn't strike me as fair that you're also beyond playing and dancing. He sighed deeply and smiled. You remind me a bit of my cousin Elaine. I used to babysit her for my Aunt Ruthie. I know, I know, boys don't usually babysit. But she was a very special little girl, and I loved her very much. I still do, but she's not a girl anymore. Got her nose pierced for her 13th birthday, and it's just not the same. The sound of pencil scratching filled the air for a few seconds while he remembered. Anyway, around about her bedtime, she would do anything to avoid laying down. It would get to the point that she would be so tired that she didn't know she was tired anymore. When I finally did get her down and sang her favorite songs to her, she would roll over and sigh, thankful that she could rest at last. I'm guessing you're a lot like Elaine. You're tired and ready to rest, but you don't know how. Well, Laura, I'm going to do my best to help you. You just wait and see. He looked at the finished sketch and thought that it would work nicely. The presence stayed with him for the rest of the night as he scraped and cut out the designs for her memorial. He appeared on Susan's doorstep the next morning with a smile, refreshed from a good night's sleep. No visitors disturbed his sleep last night, though... Once on the way over, he had caught the little one's reflection in a shop window. 
Suze answered the door dressed in a heavy white cotton dress, cinched with a royal blue woven silk belt. He felt a bit plain in his jeans and Washington State sweatshirt. The windows were open, letting in the first bright sunlight all week. Come on in, Bigfoot. She grinned and moved aside. He went inside and laid a parcel on the steamer trunk that passed for a coffee table. With a movement of his hand, linen fell away from the box. The cherry sides seemed to blaze as the box caught the light. He had worked the stain into the petals of a rose, and the stippling caused by the burn created a chiaroscuro effect on the three-quarter profile he had done of her face. On the other side of the portrait, a dove was frozen in flight. A chain of Celtic knotwork framed it all. When he opened the lid, a verse from the Bible was revealed. He stepped back and looked at Sue's. Rob, that's absolutely exquisite, she gestured at the lid. Who's the girl? That's hard to say. I only know that she is connected to this piece of pine in some way, and her spirit is restless. He'd feel completely at a loss telling that to anyone else. At least Suze believed in the possibility. So you're doing this for her? She reached up and dragged his head down to her level. A gentle kiss was placed on his lips. That's an amazing thing. If I wasn't already taken, I'd snap you up. She went to a small work table where a variety of jeweler's tools surrounded a copper box. Well, I have the music hardware almost done. If you want to hang around for a bit, I can finish it straight away. He blushed a bit at the display of affection and cleared his throat. <clears throat> yeah, um, okay. I'll just, uh... <laughs> Pull up a, a futon. He grabbed a paperback from a stash in her plastic milk crate bookshelf and plopped down. She went to work while he read, and silence ruled the little flat for the next three hours. All done, she chirped from the corner table. He stood and stretched, popping all of his vertebrae from the hours on the floor cushion. Great. Let's try it out. Since this is for a deposit one, we should do this right. After a few minutes, she had set up a small folding wooden table that had been carved with all sorts of intricate fairy creatures. He had made that for her for her last birthday. A white beeswax candle sat at each corner ensuring that no darkness fell on the box at its center. A small cone of incense burned, filling the room with aloes wood and sandalwood. Rob opened the lid of the box, and the melody that had filled his life for the last few days began to play. On the other side of the table, the air began to shimmer. The beautiful young girl became almost solid in the pure light cast by the candles. A huge smile lit her pure face and she nodded at her saviors. She turned from them and began to walk away. Her figure slowly diminished, and after a moment, a gap opened in the middle of space and soft white light spilled from it. She walked into the light, 
and after a time, there was no more illumination other than that provided by the candles. Neither of them spoke for what seemed like hours. They looked at the place where the girl went with smiles of their own, grateful for the gift that they could give, but more grateful for the beautiful presence that graced their lives for the shortest time. Why do gold like human hosts so much? What is the universal language? When will the Java be free? Where will the Stargate take us next? How does Nakoda really work? Who will ask, answer, and discuss these and other questions? The Fifth Race, a Stargate SG-1 podcast. Find us online at thefifthracepodcast.com.